So after Advent um, every year, or typically most years, we have the habit of doing uh, a couple sermons, a sermon or two, on what we call our purpose and pursuits. And if you remember from the membership class, our purpose and pursuits at Crossway, this is our way of asking the question, why do we exist as a church um, and, and what cultivates a healthy church, our pursuits, our purpose, why do we exist, our pursuits, what cultivates a healthy church? How do we fulfill our mission? Um, another way of saying this is our philosophy of ministry, our core convictions about how to do ministry. And so we like to spend a sermon or two um, after Advent, typically maybe at other times of the year, it's kind of like this rolling series that we'll occasionally bring up to spend some time thinking about some of those core commitments some of those core convictions we have from scripture about the nature of church life, about the nature of our mission and our ministry as a church. And so, especially with um, Joby and Sam both being elder candidates right now, and since it's been quite a while since our church has had non-paid elders, um, some of you are have joined Crossway since we've, like, you haven't even been here since we've had non-paid elders, um, I've noticed there may be questions that arise about what exactly does it mean to be an elder? What is an elder? What does it mean for Joby and Sam to become elders? And so I thought we could spend the next two weeks asking that question, what are elders? And it's an important question to ask. Um, elder or pastor is the, is the office in the church that we might attribute leadership to. It's the leading office in the church. And as with any organization, the leadership uh, steers often the direction of the organization. Just this past week when I was up north visiting Anne's family, family my father-in-law, if you've met him, is absolutely obsessed with football. He says he's not, but he watches ESPN all day, every day. He's obsessed with football. And he's a Lions fan, which is a bad combination. Um, and so he is often very disappointed and depressed about his football fanship. But one of the things that I find interesting is, I, I, I mean, I like the Packers, but I'm not, overly, I'm not over the top about it. I enjoy it. But um, he's much more interested in, in, in following his team. And one of the things I find interesting is he's always making observations about coaches. He's always interested in a team's coach. Who's the coach of that team? Who's the coach of that team? I think one of the things is that the Lions, if you know anything about the, the Detroit Lions, they're a pretty bad team, at least within my lifetime, and they cycle through coaches because coaches, it's like a graveyard for coaches. They have a hard time making any, any sort of improvement. It's like there's something baked into that team where they have problems. And so he's always interested in coaches because I think he hopes one day to have a good coach. The idea of being a coach can in many ways set the temperature uh, for the rest of the team. Even if you don't know anything about football, you, you know, having a coach, having someone who guides the, the team, the roster, will determine in many ways how successful a team is. You can have good players but a bad coach and it's not going to go well typically. The other reason I think, and, and so similarly the point I'm making is that when we think about leadership in a church, it has a similar function. Uh, pastoral ministry in a church will in many ways set the the temperature and the, the track for ministry in the church and the health of the church. The other reason I think looking at eldership is important is because there's a lot of misconceptions about eldership or pastoral ministry. Sometimes when I hear people talk about elders in a church, it sounds like they're more describing a board of advisors 
like the like sort of these business managers or maybe the boss of the pastor. So kind of viewing church almost like it's a business or a corporation, like a business model of church. Or there's a, a growing sense um, over the last decade or so of pastors being sort of like these celebrities or these mini celebrities um, where they're kind of a talking head. And so uh, it's good that we have a biblical understanding of eldership so that we can practice that as a church and avoid some of these misconceptions and the, these errors because our beliefs about eldership will outflow in how we practice eldership. And it is important that we follow God's word and how we organize ourselves as a community and in how we lead the community. So what I want to ask this morning is what are elders? What is their role? What are their responsibilities? If you were to put together uh, sort of a job description of an elder, what would it include? And why do elders and these functions that they have, why do these things matter for the local church? Why is it important for the church's health and mission? And so this week, again, we're going to look at roles and responsibilities of elders. What does the role entail? Next week, we're going to look at some additional materials um, related to the importance of elders um, with the health of the church and the mission of the church. Like, how do we practice eldership in terms of our own church government, things like a plurality of elders and inequality of elders and the biblical qualification for elders. So it's not kind of all those categories. We'll treat those all next week. There was a handout because we're going to be looking at a lot of different verses rather than trying to have you guys flip through your Bible, which you're free to do if you want. But to try to make it easier, I made a handout with all the verses. If you did, is there anyone who did not get that handout? And if not, it looks like everyone did. Uh, Otherwise, there should be some out at the resource table, and maybe I think Danica is getting some we can hand out. So just be sure to wave your hand at her when she comes back. Um, Save that handout for next week, though, too, because we'll be using that next week. So let's dive in. Um, First of all, one of the things I want to address is the title for the office. The title. In other words, what do we call the office? What does the Bible call the office? And I've been using the word elder. I threw in another word, pastor. Another word that gets used is overseer, okay? So just we'll break these down each in turn. So first of all, elder. Now, biblically speaking, elder is the most common of these. We typically use pastor, not necessarily we as a church, but sort of American evangelicalism. We often use the word pastor, but the Bible more commonly uses the word elder. And elder expresses something of the qualifications of the office. That is the wisdom and experience that is demanded for the office. The second term is overseer. The King James would translate this bishop, okay? But most modern translations say overseer. And this reflects something of the function of the office, that of overseeing, looking after, caring for the church. And then thirdly is pastor, which has a similar idea to overseer. overseer. Again, reflecting the function or the task of shepherding, of pastoring. Pastor is another word for shepherd. So it's to shepherd, it's to care for, to look after, to nurture, and to guide the church as a shepherd does sheep, to protect them. And so one of the things that we have to note with these titles is not is what they obviously what the titles mean conveys something about the office. So we've just learned a little bit about what an elder, overseer, pastor is. The other thing that we need to establish is that these terms are all interchangeable for the same office. So we're not describing three different offices here. 
This is one position in the church with three different ways of describing it. Okay? So, for example, in Acts 20, in Acts 20, in verse 17, this is where Paul is gathering the elders from, my, from, from Ephesus. He's gathering them to Miletus on his way back to Jerusalem. In verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders. Okay, he's calling the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, look down at verse 28 now on your sheet there. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay, so now we have shepherd imagery conjuring up the idea of a pastor in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, which is literally to shepherd the same, it comes from the same root as the word pastor, to shepherd, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So notice that. The elders are also called overseers, and their task is that of pastoring or shepherding. All three of those used to refer to the same office and function. First Peter 5. I exhort you, the elders, or I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd or pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising what? Oversight. Okay, you see how all three of those are used again? Those are, again, all roots of the same words we've been talking about, even if they're used as verbs. So elders, you're, you guys are elders, you are to shepherd, that's an activity, or pastor, and you are to exercise oversight. There's an activity again. Titus 1, verse 5, this is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Verse 7, for an overseer, he's talking about appointing elders, he gives qualifications for elders, and then he says for an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach. There's another example where overseer and elder are used interchangeably, okay? So when we talk about elders, we're talking about what is probably more commonly referred to today as pastors. Pastors are elders, though. And elders are those tasked with pastoring. Okay? And we don't make a distinction between pastors and elders like some churches do then, where maybe you have a pastor who's like the paid person, and then the elders are like this board of advisors or like the boss of the pastor or something like that. Pastors are elders, and elders are those who are tasked with the action of pastoring. These are the same office. Okay, another question that arises, though, that I want to address is when we call it an elder, does that mean that elders must be relatively old? Okay, I, I don't think many of you would consider me relatively old at the right age of nearly 32. Um, older than some of you, I suppose, but not many people. Okay. So in short, I think the answer to this is no. No, they must not be old. Now the word does likely derive from the idea of the wisdom that generally comes with age, the sort of wisdom and experience specifically in view here though, is that of the Christian faith, wisdom and maturity in the Christian faith. Okay? So the word undoubtedly does arise from more of that idea of an, an older person, and in the Jewish tradition, they would have had their older folks, the elders, be the rulers, okay? And so that's where the, so the Christian community sort of use that same language. But I would argue, based on the following reasons, that it doesn't necessarily retain the, the demand that elders, in this sense, be young, okay? For instance, Paul says that an elder cannot be a recent convert, 
okay? Which means that even if someone was older, just happened to be older, like say we picked the oldest people in our church, and there, there was a new believer who happened to be older, you couldn't just make them an elder because uh, there, it doesn't automatically qualify him to be an elder spiritually speaking, in other words. There, it would be a recent convert, okay? So the idea is recent convert conveys the idea that it's not about age, but it's about maturity in the faith. Likewise, neither does physical youthfulness automatically disqualify one from being an elder in the church. Paul seems to assume this when he tells Timothy uh, not to allow anyone to look down on him for his what? Youth, his youthfulness. Or when he gives instructions to elders on how they are to relate to those who are much older to them. Paul gives him instructions about relating to, to younger women, younger men, as well as older women and older men, which assumes that he, of course, is younger than them. And so this implies that elders um, can be relatively young, or at least much younger than many in their congregation. So not elders in the community in the sense of physical age, but in terms of spiritual maturity. Okay, so those are some just initial preliminary qualifications on what we're talking about when we see elder, pastor, and overseer. Now what I want to do is I want to list out for us, let's look at the scripture and actually look at the job description of what an elder is. What an elder is. The first is this. Elders are those who watch over and care for the congregation. Elders are those who watch over and care for the congregation. So first, I'm going to go through these verses quickly, so track with them on me. They're in order uh, in terms of how, they're, how they come to us in Scripture. Okay, so 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, they're in order on your sheet, that is. Um, verse 4, he, talking about the qualifications of an overseer or an elder here, he must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? Okay? The implication is he has to have the qualification of being able to manage his own house because if he can't care for that house, how can he care for God's household? There's a managing function that's implied here. Okay? Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. Paul says to the uh, elders in, from Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to all the flock. Okay? Pay careful attention to the sheep, to your flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers. You're overseeing them to care for, to shepherd the church of God. Okay? Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. The author of Hebrews says, obey your leaders. He, calls, he just says leaders here, okay? but I think we can infer something from it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are what? What are they doing? They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So keeping watch, giving an account to God for people. You're watching over them. You're accountable for them. 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So again, oversight, shepherding. In other words, at basis here, at ba basic level here, this is a this is a, a job description of overseeing, watching over, managing the church, caring for the church, shepherding for the church, shepherding the church. Okay. So one of the ways we have, one of the questions we have to ask then is how do you do that exactly? How do you do this sort of watching over, this this shepherding, this caring? What does that look like? And one of the main job descriptions of, of the pastor is the call to equip the congregation 
for ministry. Okay, so we sometimes in our, in our mindset, we tend to think that the pastors are the ones that do the ministry. And of course, pastors do ministry, that's obvious. Um, but they're not the only ones who do ministry. We, um, I, I think of a time when I was, I've told this before, when I was working up at camp and I would visit different churches on Sundays because we, it was in the summer and we didn't have one specific sort of church home that I was with at that time, during the summer at least. And so I'd visit different churches throughout my time up at camp. And I visited a church who had in their bulletin, they had listed, sometimes you see churches do this with their bulletin, they'll list who their pastors are. This one also listed who their deacons were. And then underneath that, it listed who their ministers were. And it said the congregation. The entire congregation is the ministers. And that stuck with me, obviously. And I think that's a really good way of putting it. And so we don't want to view elders as sort of the select individuals tasked with doing the ministry, but as mobilizers, those with a unique ministry, ministry responsibility, which includes training and equipping everyone else in the church to engage in ministry themselves. Pastors minister by mobilizing others to minister. And so we don't want to have the idea that, like, well, that's what we pay you to do. Yeah, you pay us to free us up, to equip all of you to minister as well, right? And when we all are ministering together, it multiplies the ministering effect our church can have. And so Ephesians 4 is kind of a go-to place for this. Ephesians 4 verse 11, and Christ here gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers, okay? Christ is giving his church gifts. These are the, the gifts that Christ gives his church when he, when he comes in victory. To do what in verse 12? What are these gifts for? To equip the saints, the believers, that is, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Who's doing the work of ministry here? It's the saints. And pastors or teachers are equipping the saints, that's everybody, to do the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. You go down to Ephesians 4.16, and he talks about the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's the task that all of us have, and pastors serve a pivotal, vital role of equipping everybody to do their part. Okay? I, I, I sometimes think of it this way. Another sport illustration, sorry if you're not into sports, but uh, I played soccer in college, if some of you know that, and so I, I was really into soccer growing up. And one of the unique things about soccer, I talked about football coaches. Football coaches are really involved, right? Oftentimes they're calling plays, they're maneuvering and doing things like that. They're very involved in the, in the game play, okay? Uh, in soccer, there are no timeouts. You have halftime and that's it, okay? So coaches can really only do too, so much. And in professional soccer, you can only make three subs an entire game. Um, and once you're subbed in, that's it. So they, they really can't do a whole lot once the game starts. Coaches are kind of limited in that sense compared to other sports. Okay? So in soccer, there's this thing that people will refer to as the player coach. A player who is on the field, oftentimes a captain, a more old, an older player, a well-experienced player, who is not only one of the players but also in many ways serves as a sort of on-the-field coach to the other players. It's a common thing that happens. Even if you don't uh, go out of your way to sort of set that up as a team, it kind of happens regardless. You might think of pastors someone like, somewhat like that. We're not on the sideline just telling you guys, you know, do the ministry, and we're just kind of sitting back. We're on the field with you. We're doing the ministry as well. 
but we want to help all of you play the game too. We want to see all of you reach your potential. And we're doing this together as a team. The, the, the pastor is like the soccer player coach. Okay, so pastors are those who care for the church and they do that by equipping the church. The other way that they do this is again by instructing and guarding the church. So this is our third thing that pastors, elders are called to do, and that is they instruct and they guard the church. Okay, and this is probably the role of the elder that gets the most amount of airtime um, in the New Testament, that the role of the elder is a teaching role, the teaching that elders are called to do. It's probably, it's arguably the primary way that elders shepherd the church, just given the amount of airtime that it gets. So let me just run through some of these verses. 1 Timothy 3.2, again, talking about the qualifications of elders, it says that they must be able to teach. Now, all the other qualifications for elders are character traits. Every single qualification for an, el- for an elder is a character trait except for one. One of them is a skill or, or, or a, a knowledge base and a skill, you might say. Able to teach, which implies something about the function of the office, of course. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in what? Preaching and teaching. Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who did what? Spoke to you the word of God. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 24, and the Lord's servant, the elder, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So, so guarding the church by correcting those in error. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. So teaching positively, instructing, but also guarding against error. 1 Timothy 4.16, elders must, or, or he's talking to Timothy here, keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on the teaching. Watch your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your teaching matters. It's actually related to, to the salvation of the church. Getting the gospel right, in other words. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So you see both positive and negative elements to what that looks like. Rebuking, teaching, exhorting. There's instruction and there's guarding from error. Titus 1.9, he, that is the elder candidate, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So again, positive and negative. And then Acts 20 again, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for, shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, notice this, fierce wolves will come in among you. So they're the, they're the, the, they're the flock and there's fierce wolves that will come in among, among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So there's an implication here when Paul is exhorting those elders from Ephesus. He's saying you've got to watch out for false teachers. That's part of the role of an elder. Okay? So here we might summarize it this way. That the role of the elder is instructing in sound biblical teaching 
building up the church positively in that way. And negatively, it is guarding, watching out for, correcting, rebuking error. We, get, we have to note this too because it can be increasingly unpopular today, uh, this idea of pointing out error. Okay, And we can sometimes think, well, that's divisive or that's being overly strict. And of course, there are ways to be divisive and be overly strict and draw lines where lines shouldn't be drawn. But we have to be careful in our current cultural moment that like, this is what elders are called to do. We should want elders to actually call out error and not be repulsed when an elder would say, this is wrong, be careful of this. That's part of our job description. It's part of our care for the church. Okay? The other thing, too, is with, with, with the office of elder being so focused on teaching and on preaching and on correction and, and knowing doctrine, it, it, it should be implied, I would argue, that we want our elders to continually be pursuing development in their theological education, their Christian growth, things like that. Uh, I believe elders should spend a decent amount of their time um, uh, uh, reading and growing and studying. It's one of the office. It's, it's an unavoidably, uh, you might say, intellectual office. I know there can sometimes be an anti-intellectualism today or um, almost like afraid of, of just knowing theology and not actually living it, but we don't want to swing the pendulum either. We want our elders to know their theology and to know their Bibles well so that they can teach and they can guard from error. Next, one of the offices of an elder is to watch themselves. So you'll notice in Acts 20, 28, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Not just the flock, but pay attention to yourself. Or 1 Timothy 4, 16, which we've already read. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Watch yourself. Okay, so as the office is especially tasked with leading and instructing in God's word, it's particularly important that elders also watch themselves. That's part of our job. Next, the next task of the elder is to rule or to govern the church. Okay, so 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who rule well. Okay, so the role of the elder is the governing office of the church. Uh, it's the, it's the decision-making office of the church. It's the leadership office in that sense. And this is good because uh, when you don't have a proper and well-recognized leadership in the church, it can easily foster conflict, power struggles, and disunity. And so having a set God-given order to the church helps provide the church order and harmony. Next, uh, second to last here, is the, role, is, the, is the function of raising up leaders. So 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so one of the roles of the elder is to train and raise up future elders, other leaders in the church. So a significant amount of our attention as elders should be uh, dedicated to discipling other people who, who can eventually become elders as well and pass on the faith to the next generation and mobilize by multiplying more leaders and more ministers. And then lastly, the last function is that of setting an example or serving as examples. And this is a big one too. Um, in many ways, I, I think this is likely part of the reason 
um, for why the pastoral qualifications are given. Of course, one of the reasons for the pastoral qualifications is you need someone who is able to withstand the temptations and the difficulties of ministry um, and won't succumb to things because they have a fortitude in their character. Um, but one of the other reasons is that one of the functions we see of the office of elder is that of setting an example to others, which of course means that elders have to have uh, character themselves that they can set forth as an example to others. Um, this is because the Christian life is not only taught, but in many ways, maybe in even more ways, it's caught. So the elders are to live lives among the sheep, rubbing shoulders with the sheep. Some people like to use the language of that shepherds should smell like their sheep. Okay, we, we teach the sheep and we lead by example and our lifestyle. So Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. But then it continues, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So elders should live in such a way that people can actually consider the outcome of their way of life. They can look at their life and they can see its outcome. And they can say that's a faith worth imitating. Or 1 Peter 5, where Peter says, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, verse 3, being examples to the flock. That one of the ways that you shepherd the flock is by being an example to the flock. And now I gave you all of the, the functions. We've gone through the functions. There is one final thing that is important to note about the office of elder, and that is the spirit in which the office should be carried out. We've looked at the titles, we've looked at the functions, and I just want to close with looking at the spirit, the demeanor, you might say, that elders should have. And that is a spirit of service, the spirit of service and sacrifice, humility. First Peter 5 again, in verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, and then it goes on to describe what that looks like. Not under compulsion, not because anyone's making you, not because you're being compulsed to do so, but willingly. You want to do this. You have a desire. You have a drive to care for people as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, not for what you get out of it, but eagerly, for, for genuinely, sincerely, for the sake of the good of others. Not domineering those in your charge, but leading them by example, being an example to the flock. And so the, the office of elder should be carried out with servanthood, with sacrifice, eager, out of, out of genuine love and care for the church. The words of Jesus summarize this quite well as well. When Jesus was talking, he was rebuking his disciples about their conception of leadership, their conception of what it meant to lead. And he says in Mark 10, 42 and 44, through 44, he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And so we've asked the question, what are the roles and responsibilities of elders, and why do elders matter for the local church? We can summarize it this way. And this, this is a, a, I'm going to quote, I'm going to read a section from our church's philosophy of ministry. We have our shorter purpose and pursuits that all of you go through in our membership class. 
But there's a longer document that our elders use, much more extensive, that's kind of the backbone behind the purpose and pursuits called our philosophy of ministry. We go into far more detail on these things. You can find it on our website if you're interested. So let me read from that about how we summarize the importance of elders and what the role of elders are. The elders' responsibilities in shepherding the church toward health and maturity involve leading the church by example with gentleness and not compulsion, caring for the saints and equipping them for ministry, preaching and teaching the word, guarding the church from error, devoting themselves to prayer, overseeing the well-being and activity of the church, raising up leaders, and attending to their own spiritual condition. That is, I think, a good summary of the role of an elder in the local church. And it matters for the local church, as we, I kind of alluded to at the beginning of this. Just like a, a football coach uh, can very well determine and affect the success of a football team, so leaders in an organization affect the, the health and the activity of the organization, the success of its mission. It doesn't, it's not all about them, but they're obviously part of it. And so we think, I, I can think of uh, in Acts 6. Uh, if you remember in Acts 6, when we were preaching through Acts a few years ago, uh, this is the passage where there are uh, Greek-speaking widows who are being neglected in the daily distribution of the early church. Uh, the church had collected funds and were taking care of people from within their midst. Um, and the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected, so they had to sort this out. They had to do a little, the church had to do some organization. They had to kind of get themselves organized, okay? Church organization is good. It's biblical, right? And so they get themselves sorted out. They appoint uh, these seven men who uh, uses a verb that later gets used for deacons. So some people would say this is the beginning of deacons who are then able to care for the needs within the church, which is kind of what a deacon does, right? What's interesting is after that section, after the church kind of goes through this moment of kind of getting themselves organized um, and, and getting kind of everything squared away, it says this, it closes with this. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and even some priests came to the obedience of faith. And so it closes with the statement that as a church gets itself organized and is able to care for itself, one of the results seems to be that the word of God then continues to increase. That part of the way the church's mission is furthered, is facilitated, is by a healthy organization, is by being organized in the right biblical way, having its needs cared for, its needs met. And that phrase, the word of God continuing to increase, structures the book of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts, it, it's framed by this continual repetition of the word increasing. We see the word of the gospel going to the ends of the earth by the very end of the book. And one of the ways that that, hap that happens is through the mundane nature of a church being organized and how it's organized and governed. That also facilitates our mission. We say it this way in our philosophy of ministry. We believe that the biblical model of church government, namely that the local church is served by deacons and led by a plurality of qualified elders, is incredibly significant to the maturation and healthy function of the local church. A biblical model of church government is a mission thing. It's, it's about mission. It helps our mission. For example, when the officers are functioning as they should, this helps ensure that the church's needs are accounted for and addressed. 
both in terms of what the deacons do, for example, like Acts 6, and in terms of what the elders do. Or again, a church's government, particularly its elders, serves as something like the rudder for its ministry decisions. As a rudder shapes where a boat goes, so the elders in in many ways shape where the ministry goes and how its decisions are made. And as such, a healthy polity, that is a church government, and a healthy leadership significantly contribute to the cultivation of a healthy church. So this topic matters. It's important that we have this understanding too together. And so three ways I think we can respond, three practical things that you can take away from this, is I, I think this matters for you too. You might say, well, that's all, that's all nice, Kirk. I'm glad that you know that. Why don't you just make sure that you take care of that stuff, okay? Make sure that our church is doing those things the right way. But I want you guys to know this as well because I want all of us as a church to hold up the seriousness of this office as we vote potentially to appoint Sam and Joby and any other person in the future. Like that is our responsibility that we're bearing together to know what we're appointing someone to and to know the seriousness of the office. But also, secondly, it helps us understand together what the office is. We want to know what deacons are so we don't look to deacons to do things that aren't what deacons do. So that deacons don't get burnt out doing things that deacons don't do. And that the deacons can do the things that deacons do. So that they can do those well. And likewise, we want elders to do the things that elders do. We want to know what an elder does so we have the right sort of expectations for what elders do, what pastors do. We want to be rightly organized in in our expectations as a church so that our government as a church can kind of sit in the background as we fulfill fulfill our, our mission and that mission is facilitated through our organization. And so we want to understand what the role is collectively as a church so we can share that vision together, so we can be unified in that vision together. And then thirdly, we want to look to the elders for these things, for the, the different responsibilities and the roles that we've looked at today. Look to our elders for those things. This feels a little bit weird saying this as I'm an elder myself, like look to me for these things. It feels weird. But I'm not saying them out of my own personal interest. I can say these things not as Kirk, but on the authority of Scripture. This is what Scripture says. Scripture gives us elders for this purpose. Let's look to elders for these things. They're not the only gift in the church, so I'm not trying to say that we only look there, but they are a gift to the church, and we shouldn't be hesitant to, 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 to look to them for teaching, for instruction, to be guarded against error, to be shepherd, to be counseled. God has given them for this purpose. And on the one hand, we can have the danger, I think, in some churches there's been a danger of putting pastors up on a pedestal and and they're almost untouchable or uh, we almost view them as like there's no possibility they could have sin in their life or error or blind spots. There's no potential room for criticism or accountability and that's an error. On the other side, we can swing the pendulum and almost act like elders are, there's like nothing that they offer. It's such, a, it's such a low view of, of eldership. And one of the things I love about Crossway is that we treat our elders in many ways as peers. I don't think you guys put us on a pedestal, and I love that. Um, and yet at the same time, and I'm not saying that we do this, but we want to be careful of not swinging the pendulum the other direction, um, the other direction as well. All right. And so with that, as we, as we close, I want to give us this encouragement as well. As we've been thinking about the role of elders or pastors, or shepherds. In many ways, I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready, is it it, it seems like even calling elders pastors 
it gestures to the fact that we have a greater pastor, does it not? It's like pastors in the local church level, as under shepherds, as Peter calls them, they're meant to be little pictures. We're supposed to, to be really, we're imperfect at this, obviously, but little images of Christ to his church. Local shepherds who reflect, just in a minimal way, the care of the greatest shepherd, who is Christ. Peter tells us to shepherd his flo- the flock of God because, notice, this chief shepherd one day will appear. He is the one who cares for the church far more than any elder ever does. He's the one who purchased the church with his very own blood. He's the one who foreloved the church from eternity past and went and he bought his church, his very bride. And where elders fail, and we do, always, Christ never fails. He will ensure that the mission of the church is carried out when elders cannot. And whereas elders are called to lead, and leading, biblically speaking, is to serve, so Jesus is that greatest servant of all who makes the greatest sacrifice of all. As Mark 10, we read where Jesus tells us that true leadership is to be a servant. He goes on in the very next verse. He says, for even the Son of Man came, even the Son of Man, the greatest one of all, he came not to to be served, but to do the serving, even to give his life as a ransom for many. Our Christ, our, 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 our Jesus, he leads the way in service by showing us what service looks like in the ultimate sacrifice of being a ransom, this idea of pain our price to free us from slavery. We were in bondage to sin. Sin had a grip on us. It controlled us. And we had a debt before God. Our sin demands punishment. And Christ came as a ransom to free us from the grip of sin and to pay our punishment on the cross. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what we as Christians are all about, is celebrating that victory that Christ attained for us. And it is true for all those who place their faith in Christ that then they have that freedom from sin and its punishment. And this is, of course, what we celebrate every week in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a pictured promise. It is a sign, it's a picture of of Christ's body and blood, as he says, given for us in his death to save us. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the salvation that Jesus achieved and that Jesus has to give us. And it's also a seal. It seals these things. It stamps these things on our hearts. And so as we eat them, just as our bodies are nourished by eating things like bread and wine, so our faith is to be nourished when we eat these things. Is Jesus not only saying, here is my body and blood, but he says, take and eat it. Take and drink. It's for you. It's not just over here distant from you, but as a believer in Christ, his death His shepherdly care for you is for you. It saves you. And so as you partake this morning, be encouraged. Let your faith be nourished. Let the eyes of your heart grasp Christ, not only through the preaching of the gospel, but through the preaching of the gospel through the elements of the Lord's Supper.